Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody. It's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. This week's episode features Stephanie Kramer. She's the SVP Global Marketing and Product Innovation at SkinCeuticals. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Rianne Silva. She is the founder of Beauty Blender. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. I am so excited to be sitting with Stephanie Kramer. She is the SVP Global Marketing and Product Innovation at SkinCeuticals. Welcome to our show. Hi. So excited to be here. Thank you so much for rescheduling with me. And when we had our first schedule to do this recording, I actually had no voice. I think that's like the only time in my life I could not speak. Um, It was very challenging, as you can imagine. So thank you for rescheduling with me. Yes, of course. So um, the first question I'm going to ask you about is my favorite because I love Manusha. Um, How will you spend your day today? So, um, well, after a holiday weekend... It was very exciting this morning to get up and get my coffee by myself. Had um, two sick boys this weekend, oh. so lots of that. So that little bit of time was quite exciting, getting ready to come here. Um, I already had a really great planning meeting with my leadership team this morning and then was able to just walk over because we're at Hudson Yards and head back. Oh, yeah, for we're some, so close. It's so close. Super easy to get here. Um, and then I'll head back over to the office for meetings with my team this afternoon and then tonight back into mom mode. So is most day, most of your work days at the office, is it meeting, meetings, meetings? Yes. Lots of meetings. Do you ever catch up on your emails during work hours? Very rarely, unfortunately. So what is like that um, schedule like? Do you get home, put the kids to bed, and then get back on email? Yeah, I normally, I try to actually not do emails while commuting. That's like my my big thing. I try to not do it while I'm walking down the street and not while I'm in a car. Um, so that leaves pretty much those those hours after dinner or during the dinner time when the kids have gone to sleep and or on the weekend. When you're commuting, you're on a train? Um, no, actually, I normally take a via. So I take a ride share because I come straight down the West Side Highway. I'm on the Upper West Side to Hudson Yards. Um, I also love to run home, but just not seasonally easy with the dark. Um, but that's my most favorite mode of transportation. Oh, okay. So talk me through the fitness as commuting because I've always been curious about this. Yeah. You pack a bag in the morning with your gear. Yep. So I take like, actually, I normally take multiple things with me. So I take my sneakers back and forth, but wear a backpack. Um, and that's the days where I have, I have an iPad at home, so I don't have to use my computer, uh, put everything in the backpack and then run home up the West side highway with my headphones on and get the commuting in, get the exercise in and decompress. And you have the backpack on while you're running? Yes. And is that something that takes getting used to? A little bit, but I try to not carry too much that day when I'm back and forth. And then I have to do the ride share then um, on the Friday to carry home all the gear <laughs> oh, <laughs> and make sure I have backup running shoes in both places because um, it gets a little bit tricky. Right. So Kind of ch- like when you're dating, you know, and you have like your stuff in multiple <laughs> so places. So you're accumulating during the course of the week and you bring it all back home on Friday. Exactly. Okay. That makes sense. I yeah. like that. That's cool. It's great. Although now I live a lot closer, so I have to decide if I'm going to run less or if I should like overshoot my apartment and then run back home. Because when I was a little bit further downtown at Keels, it was a a five-mile run instead of a three-mile run. Oh, wow. That's a big difference. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about this. This um, SkinCeuticals job is a new role for you. Yes, exactly. It started in October. Um, So SkinCeuticals is still part of the L'Oreal family um, and moved from Keels to SkinCeuticals and really excited to be learning about a new part of the business. And what was your role at Keels? So at Keels, I was head of global marketing. And what... um, 
what sort of shifts happen with your new role now? Like, is it more responsibility? Is it a, a new, um, something that's brand new to you? So for me, it's um, it's in a different growth phase for sure than Kiehl's. So that's really exciting and challenging. It's in the high growth phase. Um, it also has the medical channel, which is really exciting to learn. Way, way back, I was a chemistry major who wanted to go to med school. Um, and I feel like this is really testing me to rack my brain and dig into clinical data. And I spent my weekend reading, you know, lots of papers online um, to get ideas. So it's it's an exciting new, new step. That's one of the first things I wrote. Um, after my first question, I wrote, you are a chemist, exclamation points. Um, that's so cool that you are a chemist. Yeah. Well, you know, like everyone always says those type of type of things. And I remember being the student, the chemist, and then going transitioning into marketing with that background. And it's um, it's been a long time, but now it's, it still clicks every once in a while, which is fun, especially the organic stuff. So during our intake call, I asked you about why beauty, and you told me about your um, childhood Mary Kay birthday party. Yes. Paint a picture for me of what okay. that was. Um, so I, I really am in the right place, and I have lots of instances of that, and two of them that we talked about. One is the Mary Kay birthday party. So I would make potions in my bathroom, and I thought pretty much all kids did that, but apparently this is um, special to me. So, you know, would mix all different kinds of products and try to get it to have different kinds of foam and all these things, and then that evolved involved into asking my mom if I could have the Mary Kay birthday party with the little pink trays that you'd fold up and everyone would sit around the table and you'd learn how to use the different products. And I thought that was just like the coolest thing in the whole world. Um, and then everybody would leave with like a little lip gloss. And then I also, I have this great picture of me that um, I was in middle school and it was really the the peak of Old Navy's um, height. And so I had a really funky sweater on and I had black and gold braces because I was from, I am from um, Pittsburgh and I also went to North Allegheny High School. Black and gold are not really the best colors for you to alternate on I'm your speechless teeth. right now. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm painting the picture for you because I'm standing in front of this um, triptych board. You know, you used to, have, you know, slides and things. You actually used to have to cut out letters and put them on the background of a board to present your science fair experiment. And mine was called Skin Science. And I tested different soaps on pieces of chamois that my dad used to um, dry the car hood because it was, you know, simulating skin. So, you know, really, I'm just, I'm in the right place. <laughs> so your your school project was about how soap and skin react to each other. And testing, testing different soaps. And what did you learn? Um, I don't, I don't remember, but I do remember that Dial Bubble Bath was one of the contenders, so... How interesting. Um, why do you think you were so fascinated by beauty back then? I think um, I think I was really into both the science piece because my grandfather was a chemist. And so he would actually bring home corroded pipes and teach me why that was happening and different things from boilers he would visit. You can imagine that's a very interesting leap to beauty. But then also I would always read the fashion section of the New York Times and Think about kind of those two things together in art. I love to paint. Um, yeah. That's so cool. Okay. So um, I don't know if Mary Kay still does birthday parties, but if they don't, somebody should because this is a genius idea. Absolutely. Um, okay. So let's talk about education. You, you've um, trained quite a bit. Yes. Right? So you have your degree in chemistry. You have a master's at FI, from FIT. Is that right? Yep. Um, were you in the NYU graduate program? I did um, their certificate program for digital marketing. Okay. And then you're also a trained esthetician? Yes. Okay. Did I miss anything? That's, that's good. 
Um, okay, so tell me why you love school. I love, I love to learn. I am like, now it's so nice to be able to be, especially in my current job, a very proud nerd. Like, I just can't get enough. Um, so when I went to Wake Forest, I was, you know, the only person sitting in my chemistry class wearing my sorority jersey. So again, one of those things that was very much who I am. Um, and my one of my projects was working with the art department on putting a periodic table outside of the chemistry department, uh, a real table that had tiles that were shaped like the different elements so that we could sit together and maybe get people to come over to the chemistry building. Um, so you were trying to market the chemistry department. Yeah, but trying to market the chemistry department. I was the president of the chapter of the American Chemical Society. I remember the day they took the yearbook photo I had on my sorority jersey, and I thought, this is really, this is really special. Um, so that was that was exciting. But I couldn't study abroad because of all the labs. So I uh, got to study in. Um, Cuba. And so I did a special program that was in the summer, and it was on Cuban art and literature, and really was talking about um, art and art history. And I just kept thinking, like, I don't know if I can go to med school right away or to graduate school. I just have this urge to be abroad and to do something different. And then I actually interned at Quest and Quest Fragrances, which was acquired by Jividon. Um, and they had all these analytical majors, so biologists and chemists and perfumers who have this very different knowledge and, and skill set. And I saw the business piece too, and I got so excited. So I then I, I did a rotational program with Quest where I worked um, in New Jersey in the Mount Olive plant, which was super cool, working on toothpaste flavors. Then I worked in New York and I was working on the Estee Lauder account when Beyond Paradise was the fragrance of the year and with Britney Spears on Curious, and now I'm really dating myself. Um, and then I lived in the UK and worked on EMEA strategy and finance and then rotated to Asia and lived in China. So pre-Olympics China, pre-big boom in China for, for our industry um, and really got to work on the consumer insight side and do an ethnography studies and then came back and, and then moved to L'Oreal. How cool that um, when you're in college, you long to study abroad, but then you got a job that basically paid you to study abroad. Exactly. Yeah. Abroad in many places. Exactly. It was That's so cool. Very, very cool. Um, so um, I want to know about you now. Um, tell me about your leadership style. So I think my leadership style has really evolved. Um, and I say that because I think it's just I like having multifacets of my life. And I really like to give people space, but I also know who I am, and I have a lot of energy, and I get really excited and engaged. So I try to balance my personal excitement and engagement with giving people the space to thrive. So I really want to be the biggest cheerleader. Um, I want to help people take an idea and explode it. So I really like a back-and-forth um, relationship, but I really, really like to find people and help lead people to find that, that place where they get energy. And that's what I look for myself, too. So how did that come out when you were um, earlier in your career, right? So you were at Quest for many years, and then you were at Tiffany? Then I was at L'Oreal. At L'Oreal. So mm -hmm. then I was uh, working on Ralph Lauren fragrances. Mm -hmm. And then from there, moved to the professional division, worked on Matrix, and then left and went to Chanel and worked on oh, the Chanel, U.S. side uh -huh. of the business, and then came back to L'Oreal to work on Kiehl's. So I mentioned Tiffany because I'm getting confused because you you had, we have someone in common, Adina yes. Kagan, yep. who used to work at Tiffany, and now she's at Chanel. So that's where you, was she your boss at Chanel? Um, no, but she's a great mentor still. 
um, she was like the, she wasn't my direct boss, um, very early on in my first job, but like, she was like the most influential boss. I guess like she was like my boss's boss, boss. And she was amazing. And I think about her all the time. Totally amazing. An excellent, um, listener and bounce, bouncing ideas off of person. So, um, you know, when you, when I ask people about their leadership style, they usually are like a little more advanced in their career, but how did that leadership style come through when you were maybe leading just your own work and not a team? So I think this energy thing has always been part of it. And I think people know too, they can give me a little project or something that maybe other people don't want to work on and just say, you can work out on this on the side and then know that I'm going to get excited about it and it's going to explode and I'm going to bring people into it. So I'm kind of a good person to give those type of things to. Um, And I think now I see that in others and I try to also make sure that while you want to work on big vision and strategy and all the different pieces, that you also have these other things that might just be a spark, but give people space and and let them do it. Because I certainly was somebody who did that and saw how that helped my career and also helped how I lead others. So, um, you know, as you're talking about all the different companies you worked at, it makes me think about a little bit of my own career. And um, those are all very big organizations, very hierarchical organizations. And I always had a really hard time with hierarchy. I just, it didn't mix well for me. It was no doubt that I would become an entrepreneur at some point. But um, following rules is really hard for me. And following like the rules of the um, not just the rules of the job. I mean, I guess I didn't break laws or anything. And I'm not a lawbreaker. But, um, you know, the politics and the internal kind of mishigas. So were you able to navigate that stuff and not, like, ever worry about it? I mean, definitely worried about it, for sure. But, yes, I think that that's something I've really found a sweet spot, and I call it almost like an entrepreneurial spirit. Oh, so, wait, say that again. Entrepreneur. So I'm an entrepreneur and I've, I'm, I'm coming to grips with that um, because, again, like I have found great partners and great resources within these companies in order to test and learn and do things. And I like to be on brands and work on teams that like to do that. So maybe some, some brands or some teams that have more of that structure or rigidity or um, I, I just think I've tried to find those sweet spots within the big organizations and people. And it's all has always been for me about people. Is entrepreneur a thing? Have you heard of this before? I mean, I use it all the time. I think I think it might be, but um, but it's certainly certainly where how I define myself. Yeah, maybe see if you can trademark that one. Yeah, totally. Before it's too late. Exactly. And I'm thinking about Jan. Um, it might have to be like the entrepreneur.us something. Yeah. Well, Jan, <laughs> who um, reads through all the transcripts from our show and writes the the like the LinkedIn blurbs about it, like she's gonna latch on to this entrepreneur awesome. idea. It's Great. such a good idea. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So um, you you just think that you have a knack for like finding the right people and um, the right projects coming to you so that you can be entrepreneurial but within a big organization. Yes, exactly. So what kind of advice would you give to people who are starting out or maybe like in the middle of their career and they're working in very hierarchical, very corporate environments and um, it feels itchy to them? So I think that's a really important feeling that I actually always encourage people in any state of their career to consider. So when you're feeling itchy or when you're feeling stuck, I normally try to help them unstick why they're stuck because that's the worst feeling in the world, one of the worst feelings for me. So I say, okay, where are you? And I do this with my students too. So I say like, are you a green? Where you're like, I have these feelings, but I'm still like, I'm still pretty good in my current job. Am I yellow? Am I starting to feel like this is making me uncomfortable every day and bothering me? And is it something I can change that's within my control? Or am I red? Like, get me out of this. This is not right. Something like that. And almost giving yourself that frame helps you to feel a little bit less itchy or sticky or stuck. 
So I always give that the people that advice. And the second is what things are within my control, what things are not within my control. And sometimes you just have to stay the course with those things that are not within your control that are part of your job responsibilities. But then also find other ways that you're going to get that energy, that high frequency that we all want to find that'll help stimulate you in different ways so the other stuff won't feel so itchy and stuck. So um, you're saying that through your career, your team members could come to you and have this conversation with you and they don't have to worry about like if they're yellows that they're going to like lose their job tomorrow. No, I think it's it's really important that it's it's a partnership. You know, you want people to feel good. And what I always do with that is also say say to people like, you know, it doesn't mean you have to leave. So, of course, your first thing is going to be, and especially with talent, how do I retain you? How do I make sure I'm getting the best out of you? And how do you feel that way too? You don't want to just be using people for only what they're good at, but what do you want to be stretched? How do you want to do it together? So, And also, I try to keep a, a very high level of trust with people on my team. Right. So you're obviously a nice boss. Um, what, um, what should people look for if they don't if they're not sure if their boss is the right, the type of person they can come to with their honest feelings? I think it's actually always a good thing to test with someone you totally trust and, and go in. And maybe somebody that knows your boss is a, is a good tip. So you can go into them and say, this is what I'd like to say. And you know what? Honestly, generally, the best policy is to just go for it because your, your boss, even if you don't have that best relationship, will probably really respect that you're having this type of conversation. But sometimes it's good to test it out on someone that might know them or somewhere where you might feel a little bit safe and comfortable. And also, I always recommend if you have a difficult conversation, generally you should just maybe have a practice run because you might be overly emotional. You might not have the right words. You might not be as articulate. You might need to think through it yourself too, depending how you think. So I always kind of give people that extra like little, give yourself a buffer. It's such sound advice. I think I'm like, I'm um, amazed by what you're saying because Early in my career, I didn't have um, people to turn to like you and um, went to the HR department to talk about that stuff and got fired like before I even left the elevator, you know, on the way back up to my office. So it's, it's I guess I've been so wounded by like corporate yeah. culture in that sense. It sort of made me think that it's not possible, but you, you know, I believe you that you're telling me there are people. And I, I think it's evolving. I think the corporate landscape is evolving too. I think people are not going to be, that's not going to happen anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's hope so, at least at some of the companies where it's, you are the champion of your own career. So you're encouraged to have those conversations, particularly difficult conversations, and people are more vulnerable. So hopefully we're getting to a point where people feel better about it. But, you know, it's it's still tough. It's never easy. So you mentioned your students. Who are your yes. students? So I teach at FIT. So I teach the um, the program I graduated from. So I graduated from the FIT MPS program, um, which is run by Professor Stephen Canlian. And he's a great champion of his students. And I graduated from the program in 2011. Then I was... Um, I worked on the alumni board, and then from that, one of the professors was retiring, and so I shadowed her, and then I took on the communications class. So that I teach the first-year communications class at FIT for the master's program. That's amazing. That must be so much fun. It is just one of the best things that I do in my entire life. And what are your students learning right now? So I teach the win- uh, the fall semester, so no, right, you're, right you're now off. nothing uh-huh. for me. <laughs> but we do... Um, general communication skills, so executive presence, presentation skills. They actually have to give at least six or seven presentations that are filmed and have feedback from their peers, from myself, et cetera. Um, And they do written communications too. This is such a great role for you because I feel like you're so coachy, you know? (laughs) Does anyone ever tell you that? Yeah, I think, you know, I love 
I love having people, helping people find themselves and grow within that. Like I always say to the students, I say, I'm not going to make you into robots, but I'm going to make you into the best version of yourself, that you're an effective communicator and that you have the presence of who you want to be. And I think that that's, that's really important is to, to, you know, not force everybody to look and do the same things, but to find where they feel comfortable. But still, you can still, there's teachable skills within there too. But this isn't talent of yours. Not everybody does this. Thanks. Yeah, this is awesome. Thanks. Does um does L'Oreal Corporate have a role for that type of learning for their team? Um from a coaching perspective, yes, uh, there's a lot of uh, there's mentorship programs that are at L'Oreal. Uh, there's also coaching that's done on a one-on-one level and on group level, and they also sponsor students within this FIT program, which is great. It's a really amazing industry program where people are sponsored and immediately are reciprocally reciprocally bringing back those benefits to their team. That's so, awesome. But I really believe in it. So you um, you have a professor role. You have a job, which is a very important job. It's consuticals. Um, and we started talking about life-work balance when we were on our intake call together. And you said, I don't have life work no, balance, I but don't. you have something else. So yes. tell us what that is. So I always think, I, I always have this image, another one of my visualizations of a seesaw and how the stuck thing is like the worst. If you're sitting on a seesaw and you're trying to balance it, first of all, it's just not going to happen. So I always think of it as sometimes one side is up, sometimes the other side is up. And it's not that you're trying to always keep this perfect harmony, but that you decide. Like some days I was like, you know what? Today I got the coffee. I took the pause. I blew out my hair. I took my time getting ready. And other days I I prioritize. I want to be the one to take my older son to school. Like I want to be the one to be home early and put both kids to sleep. And it's, you know, it's choices. And luckily, I'm very lucky to have an amazing supportive husband and have developed the network that I need in order to be able to do a lot. But yeah, not most days I'm not getting an A in everything. And I tell, I, that's not my, probably my number two advice after the red, yellow, green, and where are you? I go, you're not going to get an A in everything. And from somebody who really was a straight A student, <laughs> that's a tough one. But I, I think it makes you feel a whole lot better when you think about it, you know, but get an A in something. Right. So um, that's actually something I say to my kids, like not everybody's good at math and reading and history, like all these stuff. Most people aren't great at all these subjects, right? Yep. You have some that you excel and that's life, yep. right? Um, something my, that's actually came from my mom too. So my mom would be like, it's a, I would be so upset about a B on a test. And she's like, yeah, but you got a hundred on this other test. So let's just take the points from that one and put it into this one. I'm like, okay, so we're going to market, <laughs> market me getting a B into an A. All right, I can do this. Right. Well, I mean, um, in life, I mean, I, I, I don't like the word perfection. I feel like it's, um, it shouldn't even exist as a word because for me, it doesn't exist as a thing. Um, and if I try to hold myself to a standard that's not reachable, I'm only going to feel sad, right? And um, deflated. So this idea of being able to like get an A in one thing, maybe got an A in work today, but yep. I got a C in parenting yep. or cuddles or whatever. Um, I've, I've started to really be okay with it. Uh, it was, I think it was harder when they were little, but now that my kids are 12 and nine and they, you know, are essentially small adults. Um, no, you're not going to get the best of me at nine o'clock at night at bedtime. It's exactly. just, it doesn't happen. It hardly ever happens. That's like, kind of like I'm half asleep. Yep. Um, so cuddles are not A plus cuddles. Exactly. And you know, when they're not, you yeah. totally know when you're not giving A plus cuddles <laughs> and the next day you're like, all right. Today, we are doing A-plus cuddles. There's not going to be any background thinking about the emails that I have to write when I'm done with this. We're not going to just do the short book. 
We're going to do the long book and the back rub and the extra cuddles in order to, you know, refill that reservoir. Because that's, I mean, I say all the other things, how much I love my job and I love FAT, but I mean, my, my kids and my husband and my family are really number one. Isn't that amazing that we're in a time in our careers where we can have conversations like this that go public, right? And like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, we might not have, if we said this in public, people would be like shaming us, right? Like, totally. oh, you don't put your work first. Oh, you're not 100% your work, right? They would really have um, scolded us, right? Like our peers or the supervisors and the leaders of the company would have scolded us for having feelings about having a life beyond work. Totally. And I think we still have that challenge. Like, it's awesome that we can have that conversation, but I think people still face it all the time, every day. Well, this is a great transition to the topic that I wanted to spend most time on, which is um, how we can all, our, our companies or as friends, better support women as they become moms or as they grow as parents and work. And I know this is a topic that you feel really strongly about. Um, so tell me what your thoughts are on that. Well, I think, so one of the topics that I'm very, very passionate about is about working women in pregnancy because um, I think it's a very important point and I remember it so vividly and I'm sure you do too. It's like it's such a pinnacle point in your life where really that is the focus, uh, but you still are also generally at that time, that age point, you're also hitting a specific time point in your career. And I think that um, perception is everything. And even if you are a woman who has been pregnant, I probably think that you you could see someone pregnant and you might see them differently um, if you just found out the day, you know, that day that they are. So I think it's a really important perception that we have to all be aware that we have um, and how to support women in that time. Because I think if we get them there, it's not about when you come back from your maternity leave trying to retain them. I think it's retaining them before they even get pregnant or when they are pregnant. Why do you say that? You, do you think that a switch goes off in some women's heads that's like, well, now I'm pregnant, I'm probably not going to have a career here. Do you think they make a decision about that? I think that it's a point where you really think about it because you have to make, like we're talking about the balance, you have to go to all those doctor's appointments. You can't go on that trip to France. You have these other pieces. And it's the first time where really you can't say yes. And I remember for me, you know, when we were talking about my early career, I was super fortunate, but I also worked really hard. And I also said yes not just to the really cool things, but to all of the other horrible things so that maybe someday I'd be considered for the awesome ones. And I think it's one of the first times, and I remember having the moment where it was like, oh, I can't say yes, and I wanted to. And it's not bad, and you get all these amazing benefits on the other side, but that's a real check to your, to your ego, to your reality. Um, and, you know, it happened again when I had my second son. Happens now to me still too, but it's, it's different. And it's tough. And I think you have to have really supportive, like we were talking about, really supportive people around you. You can have honest conversations about it and know that it, it does affect, it does affect you. So this idea that we need to retain women before or during pregnancy is really fascinating because I'm thinking about my own journey. I was working at L'Occitane in Provence and I knew I wanted to have kids. I wasn't pregnant yet, but I made up in my mind, this is not a place that I can be a mom. Yep. And I think that happens to a lot of people. And it's such a shame because we shouldn't have to have that be one of the limiting factors. However, it's true, right? If you had a job that had tons of international travel, probably you might want to make a change. Or you know what? You decide that you're going to take your child with you and maybe you change your child care plan or something. But it do, it's definitely a, a point where you're making a decision. Right. So I'm, I've never, I really never thought about it this way. I've thought a lot about once the baby comes, 
where the second baby comes. And those are conversations we have with our team because many of us have kids. Um, but I really never thought about making the environment in such a place that when I do get pregnant, it's a place I know I could be a mom. Exactly. I mean, I, I always talk to people about like, well, do you want to go see, you know, where the pumping room is? Do you want to talk about what your schedule could be? And making it like not a thing. Like, do you want to talk about what your options are if you had a maternity leave? Like literally people are going on the website and looking on your corporate policies and making their life decisions with all of those things in mind. Wouldn't it be better if you could have a conversation about it where you could talk about options and your feelings? And I don't know. I think this is another sweet spot of business opportunity only because I think that the, the companies who get this right um, will set a standard. This is for people like we're saying, you know, I, I did a, a TEDx at L'Oreal um, on this topic. And I remember people coming up to me and saying, you know, I'm not even there yet. I'm not even dating. I'm not even thinking about having kids yet. But this made me feel better about it, you know, because we're having this conversation. And it's been something that's been on my mind. Yeah, this is actually really huge. Um, and my friends who wanted to stay on in their roles when we had kids, yeah, they were looking in these handbooks. They weren't willing to talk to anybody because they were fearful to have those conversations, fearful of, um, you know, some negative energy that can come back at them. Um, and also probably didn't feel safe in asking these questions um, that they wouldn't be received. So this is really amazing. So how do you, how do you as one person help uh, a global organization think this way? I think anytime I have the opportunity like this to talk about it, I do. And I talk about a lot of other difficult things that happen in that same area because it's just, I think it's a really unique spot. You know, and women in this position, they normally do two things. One, they either push really hard and you're already, by the way, making a human, doing a full-time job and trying to be like normal. And you probably don't feel that great. You're probably tired. Me, you might, but that was me. So you, you're doing that, but you're pushing because you want to say like, and I am completely the same, even though people's perceptions are likely going to be different. Same as if you have a broken arm, people are going to see that visibly, right? So you can't hide that visible thing. Or they're going to pull back already. And that's those two pieces. And then when you come back from your maternity leave, if you're staying at your same job, you have that you know, hangover of those things too, where, oh, I pushed so hard when I was pregnant and now I'm ready to take on more, but you're coming back into the same job, but you need to feel so much more fulfilled because now you're also giving up being away and you're spending money on all these other things. So you have this like tension. And I think that that time really could use individual coaching or programming or support. Um, and you have to find people too. So when you're asking me about how I can do it, I can talk about it. But I, I do talk and meet with a lot of people. I, I think that anytime someone is pregnant um, in the workspace and someone knows me, they're normally like, I have a friend you should talk to. Like, sure. Come on. Let me give you my weird list of things you should put in your hospital bag. But also, let's talk about your career. What right. do you want to do? Well, right now you're sitting in the pumping room. Yeah. Nice. Good. Yeah, so we'll put a curtain there. Good. On the door. And it's soundproof. Yeah. Because that's the biggest thing. The it's, pumping room with the noise <laughs> is not cool. <laughs> we do have these conversations here. No one um, is pregnant as far as I know, but I do want them to know that, like, you can have a baby here. You know, you can work from home here. You can do whatever it takes. I, you know, your talent's important to me. Um, but I'm also a very small organization run by a woman who has kids, right? So, um, And it's amazing because when you say it, you can tell you believe it. And I think that's a tough balance, too. Like, people will say it and they'll say they have a policy, but... You've got to really believe it. Well, I lived it, right? Like I, I torture tested it. So I know for sure that 
work can move forward if people work at home. I know for sure that work can move forward if you have a screaming baby on your lap. I know that you can work during nap time. I know that you can just catch up at night if the day didn't go the way you wanted. Like, I proved this. I know this. And I have a lot of working moms on my team who work when they can work, right? So for me, it's so important to leverage their talent in a way that's comfortable for them. And um, sure, does it mean some some work can't go to them, right? If they're not available during working hours, yes. But then there's other work that can go to them if they want to be sort of more like, you know, the night shift sort of. Um, and... Um, it's not, it's really not that hard. Um, it just requires somebody committing to it. Yeah. Um, and we, in order to, to do it, you have to have, you have to have the conversations with people, the whole team. You know, it's not even just about that person. It's like, okay, cool, but you better call in for this time spot. And by the way, it's how we all should be working anyway, to be respectful of what people want to do. Because mm-hmm. I always say too, it's not just about pregnancy or work women with kids. It's also like, I want my husband to be able to take my kid to school. Like I want to support him in that way too. Or I want people on my team who are training for a marathon. I want them to be able to run during daylight hours. Um, You know, it's, we all have the things that also help us keep that energy going because we're we're all people. We were having a conversation here about um, someone we were having a call with and she said to me, she was outside of our agency, um, you know, time is not my own here. And I mentioned that to one of our team members and I said to Robin, I'm like, why is it not like that here? And Robin's like, because we're adults. Like we treat each other like adults. We all have other things in our life. You have a doctor's appointment. Your dog needs to go to whatever. Like we're just adults about it. And I think that um, that's a really big difference, right? Treating people like adults versus treating people like children. Yeah, there's respect, there's trust, there's efficiency, there's making sure you have the right tools in place, you know, all of it. So um, when did you notice this, um, this idea that we were losing, that you're losing people before they even get pregnant? How did you see that? So, you know, I, I experienced it with myself, even though I was in a supportive environment, I experienced it with myself where I was having all of these feelings and I realized that my friends were having the same things. And then when it happened again, um, where I was thinking about it actually, so I wasn't even pregnant with my second son and I was thinking about it again, I said, you know what, I need to like fact check, check this thesis. I had a student who is an amazing mentee of mine, and she was struggling with this exact thing that we're talking about and actually wasn't sure how her boss was going to react. And he ended up being very supportive with her, but we had to, like we were talking about, we had to think through the right way to have the conversation and what the boundaries were and how she was going to do it all that she wanted to do. And I I thought, you know, like, is this just me? Like, is this just a perception thing? And I actually started doing research because I'm a nerd, as we discussed. And I found studies that were very much proving the fact that perception changes the minute that you announce you're pregnant. And once I found that, I thought, okay, why? I dug deeper into why and how. But then it started to ladder into this bigger thing because this is what I do. I kind of like snowball, and I love that, about why are women getting paid less money? You know, why are there less women in the the top of the pyramid? And all of those points of attrition and and losing women and talent in the pipeline at this very crucial moment kind of started to crystallize into this thesis. And for me, I was like, okay, it says this this one article, and I will send you my my articles. This one article says that at 30, between 30 and 35 is where you're likely to become a first-time manager. So let's say that's you're getting into a groove in your career. However, we know that your eggs 
start going downhill in the same time period. So that's great. So you basically have like age 34 where you need to make everything happen so you can maintain your career and you can have your fertility. And, you know, there's a lot more challenges that go into all of that too. And I thought like, wow, this is all, this is all real. So how do we support people? We're not, this isn't going to change. Um, but it kind of went into an even bigger, bigger thought. Well, this is amazing. If you have articles, we can share them with our, our fans. Yeah, too, that'd be I'm great. I'm sure a lot of people would be really interested in this. Totally. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. This is incredible. You've given Thanks. me a lot to think about. Thank you. I'm going to walk my, my team into the <laughs> pumping room after this call. Good, good. Um, so for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Stephanie. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.